Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. My name is Alina, and I'm so happy you're here with me today because I've got two guests with me here in the studio. Sitting right across from me are Stephanie Selden and Tony Gonzalez from Rebuilding Together Philadelphia, a wonderful organization whose mission is to repair homes, revitalize communities, and rebuild lives. Stephanie is the CEO and president of Rebuilding Together Philadelphia, and Tony is the program manager. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. So Stephanie, tell us a little bit about uh, rebuilding Together Philadelphia's mission. How does it work and a little bit of the history? Sure. Rebuilding Together Philadelphia was founded 31 years ago by Wharton graduate students in business. And this April will be our 31st year working in the West Philadelphia neighborhood of Philadelphia. Our block build is on April 5th and 6th. We'll be having 300 volunteers over two days working on clustered houses in the West Philadelphia neighborhood of Parkside. Rebuilding Together Philadelphia works in many neighborhoods in Philadelphia, though. Our mission, you mentioned, but we revitalize communities by transforming vulnerable owner-occupied houses into safe, healthy, and energy-efficient homes. And we do that in a variety of ways, some of which Tony will talk about and some of which I'll talk about. Okay, great, great. So, Stephanie, how did you get connected with um, RTP? So I was fortunate enough to spend 20 years as a public interest lawyer, most recently working in housing preservation. So I tell people that I used to preserve houses legally, and now I preserve them physically. I was a mortgage foreclosure attorney, as well as some title work, making sure that homeowners could stay in their homes, just like I do now. Okay, great. And uh, Tony, what about you? Um, You joined the organization last year. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, well, I have a background in construction uh, construction project management. I've been doing construction project management for five years and in total 10 years of construction. Uh, and before working at RTP for 12 years, uh, I worked in a nonprofit setting. So for four years, I worked as a program manager. Okay, great. And so for Tony, uh, for you, what was it about RTP's mission that really resonated with you? Well, it's serving the community that I grew up in. Uh, I felt like it was a great opportunity for me to uh, merge together my program management background and also my construction management uh, all into one fitting and really care for the people that I would consider my grandmom, my grandpa, my parents, uh, the people that that in a sense raised me or others like me. That's great. So, um, So, Stephanie... I know that RTP has several initiatives, but there are four key ones. Can you give us a brief overview of what they are and what they consist of? Sure. Our block build program I described previously, where we bring hundreds of volunteers out to clustered homes in targeted neighborhoods, and that occurs three times a year in three different neighborhoods. Then the program that Tony manages is called Votech in the House, and that 
places students who are learning construction skills in the local public schools, so they're vocational students, and they go into the homes of seniors and make repairs that allows those seniors to age in place. Our third program is a program called the Asthma Trigger Action Crew, which just started in December. And once a month, we have volunteers come into homes and make repairs that reduces asthma triggers. So removing carpet, installing vinyl flooring, sealing pest entry points, cleaning air tucks, those kind of things. And then our last program just started in October, and that's the Middle Incomes Neighborhood Initiative. And that works in uh, right now in the neighborhood, the wonderful neighborhood of West Oak Lane, right near here. Uh, and it uh, assists homeowners who earn up to 100% of area median income as opposed to our normal cutoff of 80% of area median income. And just to give you a sense of what that means, 80% of area median income for a family of four is $69,000 a year. 100% is $87,000 for a family of four. Now, 65% of our homeowners earn less than $25,000 a year. But what this new income level allows us to do is to help families with pensions, right? People who've worked all their lives but are cut off by our normal income eligibility guidelines. That's, so we're really excited to be really there. That's really important. So, um, so again, that's the Middle Neighborhood Initiative program, right? right? So um, last week we had Senator Art Haywood here, right. and he was talking about it, and he was bragging on you. <laughs> and um, I know that there was a, he talked about the, the state grant, Right. That he worked with you to um, to achieve. So it was it's four hundred thousand dollars. Can That's you talk correct. a little bit about that? Right. And back at Senator Haywood, we're so grateful to Senator Haywood, to Congressman Dwight Evans, to State Rep Isabella Fitzgerald for partnering on us uh, with us and helping us to achieve that uh, wonderful new program, which will help thirty two homeowners in Rep Fitzgerald's district um, and. We really are excited to be in a middle neighborhood, which uh, because an investment in middle neighborhoods is an investment in a place that still has strength and assets, but just needs a little bit of love to prevent it from falling into decline. So, so basically, we're not talking about middle neighborhood in terms of location. We're talking about in terms of uh, socioeconomic uh, income status. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So as you said, these are people that own their homes and are probably have a pension, right. and so they just need a little bit of assistance to maintain and to, to preserve the home. Right. Most of the repairs that these uh, income uh, these uh, homeowners are asking for are roofing and plumbing and electrical, really, really expensive repairs that perhaps they just didn't have the resources to save for over time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we also do is we educate homeowners about home maintenance, about the importance of saving for that inevitable repair. That I don't know if you're a homeowner, yes, Alina, yes. but <laughs> they're so inevitable. Yeah, you, you've right? hit several hot spots. <laughs> Roofing, plumbing, electrical, yeah, masonry. Because exactly. I live here in Germantown, right. so yeah. It's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. Right, right. With and these older houses too. Right, right. And, you know, there isn't financial education in the public schools anymore, and there isn't any kind of economics, uh, uh, any kind of um, vocational education, except in with the students that 
Tony works with. Right, right, right. No, we're definitely going to get in depth with the, the with, about the Votech and the House program. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a few more questions about the middle um, neighborhood program. I know that um, you know both locally and nationwide, the the aging population is growing. And here in Philadelphia, I did some research. There are two hundred and seventy six thousand residents who are sixty years or older. Um, and within that senior population, 44% are above the age of 75. So I know for many seniors, um, particularly low-income seniors or fixed-income seniors, moving into an assisted living facility or retirement home just isn't an option. Um, so the plan is to age in place, and that was something you started talking about. So essentially this means to continue to live in their current homes. But there is a problem with aging in place as it pertains to you know, a home that somebody bought or has lived in for 40 years and now the person is older you know the design of the home hasn't changed so can you talk about some of the um the primary issues uh within the structure of a house that a lot of seniors are facing um when they've you know they've lived in a house for decades and now the house needs to be renovated what are some of the um renovations or adjustments that need to be made to make the home more comfortable for that person to age in place Right. I'm going to actually toss this to Tony. Oh, okay, great. Because all of the homes that he works in and evaluates have are homes of seniors who are at least 55 years old and usually older than that. In fact, over 50% of all of the homes that we serve across Philadelphia are homes where there's a senior and usually a female-headed household. So, Tony, you want to talk a little bit about some of the repairs that you focus on? Yes, uh, well, to start off with, uh, I would say roofing tends to be the first, the first main issue or dealing with water altogether. So um, I, I try and explain to the homeowners that we're living in a time period where we, we have water entering into our house or we're able to deflect water uh, that's landing on top of our shelter and in a pretty modern way. At the same time, water is what's causing, seems to be the thing that's causing most of the damage in the house, whether it's whether it's the sewage water, the, um, the pressurized water, or the rainwater hitting the top of the property or the side of the walls. So maintaining the structure or maintaining the plumbing is a big issue, or even the mechanicals that are operating with water to heat the property, whether it would be a boiler, or um, which is radiant heating, uh, or whether it's uh, the hot water heater. So those are the issues. Uh, it seems like water is what we need, and it's also the thing that causes a major issue in the house. So uh roofing the roofing is a major one um it's 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 important for us to maintain the roof once a year for everyone to maintain the roof once a year have a contractor go out to maybe uh resurface it and to have the roof completed uh either 10 or redone maybe uh, every 10 to 15 years okay so usually the homeowners are are not thinking of this and they'd rather invest their money in other areas um that are more tangible um so a lot of times the roof ends up uh, create well the roof leaks end up creating uh, water damage in the ceilings on their on the second floor obviously and um, and then a lot of times it pours into the first floor and it just becomes a nightmare and, and cause foundation uh, issues or right correct and the cost to repair it for the homeowner could could be up to five thousand mm-hmm, dollars mm-hmm. so that That's ends a lot up, of money yeah that ends up being uh, or or more that ends up being a, a major thing for us to focus in on. What about inside the house? So, for example, like with the bathrooms, 
um, you know, with a lot of seniors, um, they, they, you know, they need to have, um, you know, certain aspects, adjustments to the bathroom as they, as, as they get older, just because of mobility issues. Do you guys handle those sorts of internal uh, repairs or adjustments to like the bathrooms? Yes, definitely. We um we definitely look for areas that we can care for the seniors um in terms of them aging in place. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we as we care for the senior, we'll enter through the bathroom. I'll even uh, walk with the senior and ask them to step into the bathtub and out of the bathtub and see um, whether it's if they're able to lift their knee oh, that high yeah. as they step in. A lot of them have old clawfoot tub. Um, cast iron tubs that are just dangerous and easy to slip on and difficult to get into. So um, we uh, we have uh, we install grab bars uh, inside of the tub or um, outside as they enter into the tub. Um, we look for handrails uh, or uh, maybe lack of handrails, and we install those. We also look for uh, other tripping hazards to include. Um, if they have an extension cord that's going from one side of the room to the other across the hallway, uh, we we want to eliminate those tripping hazards um, by either hiring an electrician to run a, an outlet where they need or um, suggesting that at the very least that they cover the tripping hazard with some type of a rug if we're not able to, to deal with that issue at the moment. Wow. So there's a lot of issues that, that go into assessing uh, a house in terms of what it needs to, to meet the needs of the senior. Can I tell you one story? Sure. So we yes, have um, a uh, wonderful volunteer named Jean Del Ferro. She's been a volunteer. She's also a board member, and she's an occupational therapist. And she has been doing home evaluations for Rebuilding Together Philadelphia for decades now. And she helped, she, she taught Tony all about what the occupational therapy needs and the aging in place needs would be for the seniors that we serve and for folks with physical disabilities as well. So we had a a senior who lived in her home for 70 years in Mantua, and she would, she had... um, So basically since childhood. Oh, for sure. And she had a light switch above her vanity, and she was, she didn't have a switch. She would get up on a step stool, screw in the light bulb to turn it on, and then get back down and do what she had to do. Oh and then she'd God. get back up oh and screw, you know, it's like, right, every Two, day, right? A day. So falling is the number one cause of death for seniors 65 or older. And this woman was well into her 80s, right? So it was a 50 cent chain that one of wow. our volunteers put on that light bulb switch. So it was just, yeah, I mean, it's basic. It's not necessarily the $5,000 roof that makes a a difference in people's lives. It can be much less expensive repairs. Rebuilding Together Philadelphia does invest around $11,000 per house, but our volunteers make it a lot, very, very cost effective when we're able to have the students come and work in the houses. Our volunteers at our block build events or the attack houses, the asthma trigger action crew. So, so that must and that must make you guys feel really good to know that there's so many different ways. I mean, it can just be a small innovation. You know, it can just be something very, very small, like you said, a a, a, a fifty cent chain, chain from yeah. Home Depot. Yeah, and that could, I mean, that could prevent somebody from falling and breaking their hip. Exactly, exactly, right. And a grab bar costs thirty seven dollars. Guess how much a hip replacement costs. Thirty-seven thousand right, dollars, right? So, 
there. The, the thing with the with the, you know with the hip fractures, I mean, it, it's you hear so many stories of elderly people who suffer a fall and are never the same after having broken a hip or broken a leg or. So it's just it's so important to you know, keep the mobility and keep them independent, right? Exactly, as as possible because that's where they want to be. I mean, that's what happened to my grandma. She broke her hip, and now she's in assisted living. She's doing great. I mean, ninety-seven. Yeah. Wow, I am God very blessed. I know, but you know, most studies show that most homeowners want to age in place. They want to stay in their home. They want to stay in their neighborhood. They want to stay with their friends where they've grown up. Like the woman who had, who didn't have a ha, didn't have a cord, and could have fallen, but thankfully we got her in time. That's great. That's great. So, um, talk a little bit about um, which neighborhoods are currently eligible to participate in the middle neighborhood program. And if I'm kind of like mixing things, you know, uh, you know, let's let's make it as simple as possible for the audience. But how can people? Um, become a part or become a homeowner who's eligible to participate in one of your programs? Well, the Middle Neighborhoods Program is already oversubscribed. Oh, okay. Right? That's surprising. So, right? So we started our outreach in October, and we already have well over 32 applications. Five homes have already been evaluated. There'll be another eight by the end of the month. Uh, and we have already started with some of the plumbing repairs. So it's going great guns, but right now we're already at max, unfortunately. But with, you know, the state senator's help and the congressman and the state rep, we hope to be able to continue this program. We're always looking for resources. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to continue the Middle Neighborhoods Initiative beyond this first seed money. Uh, other neighborhoods are part of... Um, our block build program, and those are three times a year. We usually stay in a neighborhood two to five years. So in the fall, we're in Kensington, and April will be in Parkside, and in June, we will be in the far west neighborhood in West Philadelphia called Haddington. Okay, okay, great. So um, uh, I noticed that Germantown isn't one of those neighborhoods. Can you talk about why not and... What, what the status is for getting a neighborhood like Germantown into the mix? What, sure. What would it take? Right. So Germantown would be perfect for us, right? The housing stock is all mostly two-story row houses, two or three stories. And you know, there are plenty of lower-income homeowners in Germantown. So it's, it would be really great to be in Germantown. Right now, we're at capacity with the number of neighborhoods that we're serving. But when we look for new partners, because we don't pick neighborhoods, we pick partners, right? So... We need our, we ask our, a lot of our partners. So they choose the blocks, right? Our office is in Frankfurt. Tony lives in North Philadelphia. I live in Northwest Philadelphia. We don't know what the needs are in Haddington or in Kensington, right? So we ask our community partners to tell us which blocks to go on to recruit the homeowners to gather the application. So number one, the community partner needs to have that staff capacity they need to have the knowledge of the community. They need to know who the block captains are to collect the applications or even the informal leaders of the neighborhood because they're not always block captains. And then it needs to be the right housing stock and the right needs. So Germantown definitely has those first two. And when we'd love to have them, when we have an opening in our neighborhoods, we'd love to have a community group reach out to us 
and let us know that they're interested and we can evaluate whether or not they'd be a good partner. So, I mean, this is, it's a very rigorous process. It's not just kind of like, oh, we have a need in our neighborhood. Can you help us? I mean, you guys, there's a vetting process. Like you said, you're working with, with trusted partners. It's not just people, individuals raising their hands and saying, hey, we, we have a need in our neighborhood. No, no. And we, you know, shout out to New Kensington CDC, to Parkside CDC, and to Achievability in Haddington because they make us shine. That's great. That's great. And ASE, right? Correct. Is our community partner with the Votech in the House program. Yes, yes. Uh, should I say a little bit about, about that? Um, so ASE, the, which stands for Hispanic Association of Contractors and Enterprises, uh, they are in the, they're located in uh, North Philadelphia, and they're the local CDC that we work with to uh, qualify the homeowners uh, for the Votech in the House program. Okay, great. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Votech in the House. So um, first, a little history. When I typed in vocational education in Google, it offered up the question, when did vocational education end? And I was like, what? So that I mean, this is Google thinking that it's being helpful. Hmm. So clearly, you know, there's like a lot of there's a lot of interest in vocational education, but it, in some realms, it seems to be kind of trapped in the last century. So, in the early 20th century, vocational education was prompted in part by big economic and social changes. You had factory owners who were facing a shortage of skilled labor, um, and public schools were seeing an influx of immigrants and farm kids. Many of these kids would have learned farming or skilled trades from their parents in an earlier era, but with the rise of factories, it was no longer safe for kids to learn to you know to work alongside their parents. So they went to high school instead and learned a trade. Hence, vocational technical education. But over time, Votech got a bad rap. And by the end of the 20th century, you saw more and more public schools cutting back on their programs and farming this out to for-profit trade schools where people are taking on student loan debt and it's just kind of like this vicious cycle, but our economy is changing once again. And people who know a trade can really write their ticket into job security with good paying jobs. Um, so there really is a tremendous need to bring back vocational education in a big way, particularly in our cities. So um, Tony, I'm really excited to hear more about Votech in the house. Um, talk broadly about what the program's mission is and um, how many students are participating annually in the program? Sure. Um, well, the Voltec in the House program, uh, we we serve uh, we serve students that are in career and technical education uh, trainings or programs in their schools, and uh, basic they're part of the Philadelphia School District. We give them the opportunity to um, to gain experiences outside of the classroom setting inside of the houses that we spoke of earlier. Uh, and as, a, as you know, they're, for the Voltec program, they're serving in the North Philadelphia community, which is, I think, great. It just creates a, a beautiful picture of, um, of uh, young people serving elderly. And I, in their community. In, the, in their community, which it, it really contrasts the, uh, some of the issues that are happening outside of the doors of the elderly, um, perhaps with um, just just some of the challenges of uh, lost youth and what they would present to the seniors. But here we have, we're able to um, give the opportunity of, of for the youth to care for the senior. 
Uh, and for the seniors to welcome the youth mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. house. So it's beautiful. And build that community. Correct. It's, it's really, it's, it's like creating more bonds within the, within the community. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so the youth, uh, I would say the, the larger goal or the, um, the hope is for the youth to gain uh, hands-on, tangible experience in the house, um, for the youth to feel, to feel as if they are um, uh, putting, putting their skills into use, what they're learning in the classroom, out on the field. At the same time, uh, uh, they're able to perfect their, their skill by, um, through trial and error. They're able to uh, care for the client. Um, care for the client's house. Um, despite the condition of the house, we still challenge the youth to tarp the floors and um, have the best business practice possible. Uh, so, so those are some of the those are some of the um, in summary, just some of the goals for the youth. So, could could they view it as kind of almost a mini apprenticeship? Yes. So, does yes. it does it take the entire? Um, uh, school year or is it just part of is just like one week or how much time would they get to work on a rtp um project so this they are working with us for um the majority of the school year okay great and we are uh we're working in 22 homes uh in a year Uh, we also work with with youth uh over the summer uh with an internship that we have so they have an opportunity uh to to gain paid experience over the summer, which is great as well. And that must be in a lot of demand, high demand. How do you select How do you um, select the students who get to participate in the summer program? Because I would figure that would be a high demand yeah, we, opportunity. Uh, we, we interview uh, two, well, we interview multiple students and select two students. Um, so we've worked with, with one school, Randolph High School, uh, in, in our past two years and this year, we're hoping to uh, to grow our our interview pool to uh, Edison High School. Uh, so that's something that's really exciting for us. Yeah, and Tony's being modest because he goes out every two weeks. Um, and this week, he went out twice, once with the Randolph High School students. Um, well, he would have if it weren't for the snow. And then uh, on Thursday, just yesterday, he was out with Edison High School working. Um, that's our new school. Really excited Tony managed to gather them into our fold. Um, and yeah, it's every two weeks, these students take a day out of school and they go into the houses and uh, have the benefit of working both with their construction teacher and with Tony. Great. Yes, and one question that you asked about the number of students that we serve. Uh, we serve 37, we've, we have served 37 students in two years. Uh, the number 37 does not take into account the quality time that we're spending with the students. Uh, so I would say 37 students impacted goes far beyond those that did not attend at all. But yeah, so keep keep talking on that, along that vein because, I mean, it's not just, um, I mean, there's so many skills that they're building um, as well as the confidence. I mean, yes. to be able to, you know, to be working on something and to have adults you know, basically applauding them for their efforts and for their work. I mean, to have that, that positive reinforcement, I, f- I figure for a lot of these young people, that's, this is an area of their life where they might not be getting that same, you know, that same acknowledgement. So yes. can you talk a little bit about the, the confidence building that comes yes. from participating? Good question uh, or good thought. The confidence is the, was the thing that stood out to me the most. Um, 
the students go out on the field and they're very excited Nervous. and they're okay. dressed up, you know, looking the part. But when it comes down to it, the confidence is what's missing. And we have such a great opportunity to just pour into the students to encourage them. Um, and the, the strongest challenge is in the focus. We are living in a different time now. Uh, every single student pretty much has a cell phone in their pocket. And when you... <laughs> When I hit the corner and I come back, they're on their phone. They're yeah, taking Instagram. pictures right. of themselves. I'm like, look, look at what I'm doing. But the rest of the world sees what they're doing, but they're not actually completing the task. Okay. So okay. the focus is so important. And we have the opportunity to just come back around and say, okay, good. You did that. Now finish it. Clean up after yourself. Right, right. Um, complete the task. But yeah, and it's real life. I mean, these are homes that people are living in. This isn't shop class. Exactly. So this is real life. So that, but I think that's great. I think it's great what you're doing. Um, any success stories? Any Anybody who you feel comfortable talking about? You don't have to mention them by name, but, you know, who's kind of gone on to take this education and has now gone out into the world and is using this as, you know, as toward their uh, career. Yes, Um well, there are a number of students that, that have graduated, uh, and they're, they're doing really well. Um, so, well, out of 22 seniors in, in uh, 2017 and 2018, 21 graduated, uh, one received the GED, and three went on to college. At the time of graduation, uh, 13 of 21 had jobs that ranged from a low of 12 an hour and a high of 30 per hour. Um, so they averaged 17.89 per hour. Uh, all, all, all of the positions except for two were construction and maintenance. Okay. Five are union jobs. Uh, so, for example, Sugar House Casino, the school district of Philadelphia, Philadelphia Streets Department, two uh, in the electrical union at HUP, and three students are working at Comcast. That's great. That's fantastic. And to see that, you know, basically return on the organization's investment in such a short window of time and we're not talking about you know 10 years down the road it's you you said that was 2017 2018 graduates correct Correct. so that's incredible that's really great um so so stephanie i know that volunteers are the are so integral to rtp and there are quite a few people who have volunteered for years um do you want to tell us about some of your rock star volunteers and how they continue to support RTP's mission? Sure. Well, aside from Jean Del Faro, who I want to give another shout out to, our occupational therapist, um, we have our volunteer of the year this year is Ron Rotondero. He takes days off to volunteer for us. So he has been at every Asthma Trigger Action Crew event. He has been to 25 of the last 25 rebuilding days. Wow. And that means he's taken... 25 days off, although a couple of them were Saturdays. What, what does he do for a living? He is at BMY Mellon. Okay. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, they also come and volunteer with us. We have a lot of corporate volunteers, some faith-based volunteers, students, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Wharton is still coming out and supporting us, and now their colleagues at Penn Design have joined forces with them, so we're grateful to them. All of our volunteers are rock stars, right? Um, we have uh, a Kathleen Maloney, who's a board member, who has hardly ever missed a day with us, uh, and, and she works in, a, in the insurance business. Uh, uh, she's uh, known as Red uh, among uh, the staff and among the volunteers, and she's developed fabulous relationships with our uh, volunteers 
and with our homeowners uh, and, and now as a board member. So we couldn't be more grateful to all of our volunteers, but those are just a few of the rock stars. I also want to say that we've had uh, at least three former homeowners come out and volunteer with us. Um, one of those homeowners, her first name is Ruby, and she uh, is was living in a house where you can literally see through her second floor through to the ceiling. She had garbage bags and duct tape on where her second floor ceiling should have been. And she had actually tried. She had borrowed money from her family to pay for a roofer. And got scammed. Exactly. Did a shoddy job. She'd been living with that roof leak for decades. Uh, And Ruby's just amazing. She comes and volunteers. Another woman named Dawn, we helped her, uh, especially with her kitchen. And she's actually uh, a baker professionally. She sends us treats. We love that. She also comes and volunteers. Um, and uh, a woman named Susan, who was a homeowner in 2013, has been volunteering with us ever since. So we we love all of our volunteers, and we really could not do it without them. So definitely a, a, a wide variety of people who, who volunteer, but... Um, are there certain characteristics or certain areas, either where people live or skills that they have, that you need more volunteer support? Uh, can you, for people who want to volunteer, are there certain areas that you need more volunteers in? So you don't need to have any skills okay. to volunteer with us at all. I mean, we love skilled folks. We have one of our board members is from Dis- Driscoll, which is a construction company, and he brings a crew every year. Um, and that's wonderful. We have a lot of other construction companies that volunteer with us. Um, but we just want, we can train you, right? And there's always a skilled person in the house to make sure that you're learning what you need to do, that you're doing it correctly the first time, uh, and that you're having a good time. So we welcome everyone. If you want to volunteer with us, There we have an e-news that you can sign up for on our website, which is rebuildingphilly.org. Okay, great. So with regards to the... Some more details about the volunteers. Are they, um, how much of a time commitment ideally would you like them to be willing to commit to the organization? Because with the the block builds, for example, is that a series of weekends? How much time would we be looking at potentially? It's a full day. It's a full day. It's a a Friday or a Saturday. We don't need you to take off work. If you want to come on Saturday, we're happy to have you on Saturday. Uh, We start registration at 8.30, kick off at 9 with a safety talk and with some information about Rebuilding Together Philadelphia, lunch at noon, and usually we're cleaning up by 3.30 and you're out uh, onto the subway home um, by 4 o'clock. Oh, okay. And is it okay for people to sign up as individuals or you'd prefer people to sign up as like a, as a team, as like a, a group of people from a company? No, so, no, we have okay. no preference, right? Um, but we, we love individuals. We love companies who want to give back or and want a team-building exercise. So we're open to both. Okay, great. So, so Stephanie and Tony, is there, is there anything about RTP that the public misunderstands? Um, I know that you have nothing at all to do with Habitat for Humanity, but I think some people might, oh, they do, they do, they build homes. And so, and I know it's a completely different mission. It's very, very clear that your mission is completely different. But are there any um, common misperceptions that you guys have to deal with and that you kind of have to, um, you know, tell the public that that's not what we're like? 
Well, let me just, I mean, Habitat for Humanity is a wonderful organization. We partner with them all the time. And, you know, we're so grateful to you for having us on so that we can have the name recognition soon that Habitat for Humanity has. And um, my understanding is that Habitat started with doing homeownership opportunities and then moved into home repairs. And Rebuilding Together Philadelphia has always focused on owner-occupied home repairs. Uh, but the, the difference doesn't really matter because there could be 10 of us rebuilding together Philadelphia, Habitat for Humanity, there are other folks doing home repairs in the community, and it would never be enough, right? There's so much substandard housing because you have very old housing stock, a very high rate of poverty, and a very high home ownership rate. So if you combine those three, you're just never going to be able to fill that need. So there's there's a distinction, but we all need to chip in. And the only way we're going to solve this home preservation problem is by working together. So as you guys see the, you know, the economic development that has happened in certain pockets, uh, neighborhoods in, in Philadelphia, how has that affected your mission? Uh, you know, there's certain neighborhoods. Um, Kensington is a neighborhood mm-hmm. that you're in, right? That mm-hmm. are now, you know, they're, they're, climbing the charts as the next hot neighborhood in Philadelphia. Um, and I know that there's that internal tension in the neighborhoods. Um, how are you guys navigating that? We consider part of our mission to also be anti-gentrification, right? So what we do is help the long-term owner-occupants stay in those neighborhoods as opposed to leaving and abandoning them which maybe means that someone will come in that doesn't look like them and doesn't have the same income of them. So economic diversity is really part of what we strive for. It's it's sometimes a byproduct, but it's always in the back of our mind, especially in those neighborhoods right around Penn and Drexel and Kensington, where we work as well. So definitely great question, something that you know we're, we're really trying to work on. And part of it is also preventing intergenerational poverty, right? So you have folks who inherit these homes and they can, they have that benefit of having their own home and not having to pay rent, but maybe it's not in great shape. So we can come in and preserve that as a family home. And then hopefully that family can become a middle income family and get out of poverty. So it's yeah, the housing security, giving them housing security. Housing security is huge, right, to prevent intergenerational poverty. So that and anti-gentrification are, are part of what we try to achieve when we talk about home preservation, right? So, But the other thing that people might not know is how important home, a, a safe and healthy home is to health and safety, right? We've talked about preventing falls and a little bit about asthma, but one out of four kids in poor Philad- and poor neighborhoods in Philadelphia has asthma. That's crazy. Crazy, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, COPD is the number three cause of death for adults nationwide. I mean, breathing problems are a really serious problem. And we have the ability to alleviate that by with our repairs, right? And we have the, all of our repairs are based on 25 health and safety goals, that are really, really critical to making sure that people, the occupants in those homes, 
are healthier and, and safer, right? Zip code is more important than genetic code as far as your own health. So just, I mean, it's not crazy, right? That is crazy. Zip code. And if we were tweeting, live tweeting this, that would be my <laughs> No, seriously, that's, 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 that's incredible. That's, that's great. crazy, right? Yeah, so is. I think that, you know, people ha- don't understand how important, they don't think about housing and health. And it really, they're really completely intertwined. So what does the future hold for RTP um, in the next three years? How would you like to see the organization continue to grow? Um, Tony, with your program? Yeah, I think um, for us to, I would love to see us be more involved with with the seniors and the youth outside of the build days. Um, I think as an organization, um, this is just me dreaming, but as an organization, it, it'll be nice to, to see us uh, incorporate other um, activities or bring in other opportunities for, for these two groups to, to get together a little bit to more. To interact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if, that, if that's even possible within our, our, our mission and focus, but um, yeah, that's a little bit of a, of a dream of mine. But um, aside from that, I think the, the, uh, for us to expand as a program, um, to incorporate more schools, to have more uh, resources, to be able to do more in the houses that we serve, it feels like uh, the work that we do is, is just a slice of the need that they have. Uh, some of the homeowners um, receive resources from other, other uh, organizations, uh, and then we come in and we feel a different need. But then even then, when we leave, they still have cracked windows or, um, you know, there's another unaddressed need. So there's still a little bit of a gap. Correct. In some in some cases, even even for those uh, even for the homeowners that are ambitious and looking for resources, uh, the best case scenario in terms of someone who is looking for seeking help, even they are not having all of their needs met. So um, I think uh, uh, funding is one area that uh, can really limit us to be able to meet the needs of the people that we're serving. Right, we do. We have. Uh, we do a baseline of those 25 health and safety goals, and usually only 10 of those goals are met when we come into a house and do an evaluation. Tony and, and our operations team do those evaluations. But then by the time we're done, we're close. We're at 23. That's our average, 23 out of 25. Of course, our goal is to be 25 out of 25, and that will take more resources, um, which, is, of course is uh, my, uh, in my area of, of expertise. Um, uh, so that's one area that we want to grow in. The other area I think we want to grow in, as far as Tony's uh, program is concerned, is in soft skills, right? How do we help these students really achieve competency and soft skills? So I was wondering, you know, I know you, have, we've, you and I have talked about that, Tony, and is that part of, that might be my vision and not yours, so I just want to double check with you. No, no, that's a good point. Um, thank you for, for uh, helping me to, to think about that one. It's uh, something that I, I do care about, and um, when we have, when I have the opportunity to work with the youth over the summer, I, I can care for the youth in a deeper way uh, outside of the pressure of a, of a regular build. So I can, um, maybe as I'm going from one location to the other, I can um, challenge them to to uh, focus in on this or on that a little bit more, and uh, that that's something that uh, I think 
that kind of one-on-one -on -one care um, is a is an area that I would like to to increase an opportunity for the youth. I can see us working with other contractors, perhaps, um, or setting something up. It's a little bit difficult because the students are part of the Philadelphia School District and they have to be with a teacher. But I think that um, that uh, we can create still some of those opportunities. We're also looking to. Um, to implement more trainings with the schools themselves. Um, so it, it'll be more of a didactic lecture style training at the school, which, um, but maybe we can create some kind of a particip participatory training where the students are able to go back and forth and we can converse about some of the things that they can do to increase um, better their soft skills uh, as they're out on the field. But still, once they're out on the field, it's like the clock is ticking. Um, the game is on. We have work to do, and uh, it's it's difficult to um, to manage, you know, caring for the students individually. So so we have to figure out a way to do that in a classroom setting. The schools are more than happy to give us that opportunity. Um, so so yeah, as we continue to grow our program, we have those visions in mind. And and maybe ultimately bringing in some of the alumni as mentors down the road, right? That is a good idea. Oh okay. <laughs> Good. Add that to the list. Alina, you need another job. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this has been great. For listeners who want to connect with you, uh, you gave the website address already, but give it again. What's the best way that people can find you online? Rebuildingphilly.org. So, well, folks, there you have it. We've been talking with Stephanie Selden, CEO and President and Tony Gonzalez, program manager, both from Rebuilding Together Philadelphia. It's been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alina. Thank you for having us. I thank you again, dear listeners, for tuning in. I'll be back again next Friday, same time, same channel. Until then, have a great weekend. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.